Are you still in your pyjamas? I'm not, actually, no. I did get up today. Did you? Well, I, I got up, but I am still in my pyjamas. Yeah, yesterday was our pajama day. Um, I don't really officially have a pair of pajamas. I had some. I've got some sort of pajama bottoms, but I haven't got a proper. I haven't really got dad pajamas. Oh no! I might have to get you those as a little birthday presents. Some dad yeah. pajamas. I can see you actually. You know who you look like. You look like the the toothpaste advert where the, the stripy oh, yeah. one. I'm not going to mention the name. You that one where they're all brushing their teeth together. You in a pair of stripy pajamas. That's it. I can see it. <laughs> I love that advert. That was it was a great very, it's a very happy advert, wasn't it? All the family was it, together. Although was, probably, which one it, are you thinking about? Um, no, no, it's the same advert I'm thinking about. I'm just trying to remember the, the brand. I know the brand. Da, 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 da. There's an M and a P involved. Oh, Mighty uh, White. No, Mighty White sounds like bread, doesn't it? Wasn't it Mentadent P? Was Mentadent P. That's Perhaps exactly it. what it is, yeah. Which strangely is a brand the that I... are available. I've never seen at all, but do you see Men's and P anymore anywhere? I don't. No, but I think that was one of the first kind of toothpastes where you had the squeezy bottle. You know, the, 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 the plunger that you used to squeeze, which is a lot of plastic to be like using. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I think, you know, we need to go back. I mean, what can I do about toothpaste? I've gone, we've moved to bamboo toothbrushes. Yeah. Um, as a way of being more sustainable, but as a there, there toothpaste. There are. There are toothpaste. There's a toothpaste called Truth Paste, which comes in a, um, a glass jar with a with a tin lid, and you can now get toothpaste uh, tablets as well. Oh, which how do they work? And they then? come in. They come in a cardboard box, mm. um, and uh, yeah, and then it it just does away with it, and then they froth up, and then that does away with any of the packaging. Oh, that sounds really good. Um, you the can get this paste. Sounds good as well. Is that, yeah. you can, can you get that online or is that available? You can get that? that online. You can from all good eco sustainable mm. stores. If you look at my Instagram feed somewhere on there, there'll be all of this because, you know, me, I'm obsessed with, the, with all of this kind of stuff. Well, well um, likewise, I mean, we, we've, you know, we're trying to do obviously trying to do a little bit. And I think, you know, quite a while ago, we got the bamboo toothbrush and they're great, actually. They're really good. And actually, you can just get them. I mean, our local health food store stocks them now. So they're, I think they're, everybody, people yeah. are really cottoning onto it, aren't they? And if you think about it, think of the billions of toothbrushes every Everybody has every year. We all use, I think, on average, three or four toothbrushes a year. You're meant to get a new toothbrush every three months. Mm. And think about all those plastic toothbrushes. Oh. And up until recently, they ha- you, you haven't been able to recycle them. And most people don't. Most people still just dump them in their in their ordinary yeah. trash, as they say in America. Mm. Um, but you can recycle them. There's a specialist firm called TerraCycle that recycles all sorts of weird stuff now. So they've been helping recycle um, the crisp packets and toothbrushes and toothpaste tubes, actually. They've been working with a brand to recycle your uh, toothbrush tubes. But you have to do it through your work which I don't know how that's going to work now during lockdown because no. you take it in with you to work and leave it in one of their collecting things. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm definitely going to try and find some truth paste, which is an excellent name for a toothbrush. I will. I'll hook you up, babe. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll ping you. I'll ping you some deets. <laughs> should we do any sort of introduction to this Positively podcast? Or I not? think we should, really. Who are you? Do you want to say who you are? Do you think people care <laughs> people who we know, are at this day? Most people won't know who I am. I'm Giles Paley Phillips. Who are you, Giles Paley Phillips? Who am I? Um, I'm a writer, mainly, and I do a bit of podcasting as well. So that's my main two hobbies. Or, or I should say, it's just say hobbies, really. They are my um, 
uh, forms of employment as well. Yes, you're, you're very humble. You're a very successful author and you write lovely books, children's books, and uh, you've written your first adult. Is it a novel? How do we describe your new book about grief? Yeah, it is a novel. It's um, written in free verse, um, which is like quite a it. unique and quite a niche way of writing. There more and more people are using it, the, the, um, the technique now to write mm. um, stories. It's kind of minimalist sort of writing um, and very poetic. Um, so, and, yeah. and was it a, an easier way to tackle the subject of grief? Because it's about losing your mum, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It also meant that um, I could use language was more the driver for the for the story and I could convey the emotions more, I felt, than having yeah. sort of a prose plot, you know, when you're sort of bogged down with details and stuff. Whereas I could Quite explain dense. explain a few, uh, you know, a whole scene um, within a few lines and um, more filmic in a way. I'm a, I'm a big... I'm in, really into movies and stuff, so I think it was, you know, it had that air of it as well. And also... It's a book that people can probably read in one sitting. Anyway, enough about my stuff. What about you? Who are you? So I'm Julia Bradbury and I'm a television presenter and I make all sorts of different kinds of programmes, really. And I suppose people will know me mostly probably because of Country File, which uh, was a series, is series, big series on BBC One that I presented with Matt Baker for about six years. And he and I took it into its Sunday night slot. That was our big thing. And I presented Watchdog before that. And I do lots of walking programmes. I'm very passionate about the outdoors and getting people to engage with the outdoors because I think it's excellent for our mental health. So I have a a website called The Outdoor Guide, which has all of my TV walks on there that people can download for free. And it's sort of a vent for all of my all of my my subjects that I want to talk about with the outdoors. And mental health has been the big thing, actually, over the past, obviously, um, few months. And I've been doing these um, uh, chats with a psychotherapist called Jonathan Hoban, and we put them up on The Outdoor Guide and I post them on my social media every week. And we always every single week without fail. And I know you're really into this as well spending time outdoors getting your kids Mm. outdoors just walking just is a reoccurring theme to staying on top of your mental aptitude I think oh it's vital it's vital um Julia I'm interested about your walking programs is there a long process of researching and actually doing the walks before you end up recording them Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that you sort of amble along and that you come across the biology expert that you found (laughs) or the man with his dog with his sad, happy divorce story or (laughs) everything is research. And you you come up with the concept. So um, Alan Partridge uh, takes the piss out of me quite a lot, actually, because he just goes, she just walks everywhere. It's it's canal walks. It's <laughs> railway walks. It's Derbyshire walks. And it's kind of true, really. They are just different themes of walks. But there are hundreds of thousands of footpaths in the UK and mm. beautiful landscapes. So there's plenty to see. So once you've come up with the theme and the idea for that series, then you real, really knuckle down into doing the research and working out what are the local stories that are interesting? Who could you interview? Can you plant anybody in there? who uh, perhaps can bring a bit of uh, bring a, t- a bit of texture um, mm. to, to that walk for, for some other reason apart from all, all the obvious things. So yes, as with every television program, a lot of research and love goes into the pre-planning and then you have very very short days to actually film because budgets are tight these days mm. and especially on a series like the walks. So you have one or two max 
six days to film one walk. And that, you know, if you have bad weather or if you have a guest that's not so good or somebody doesn't turn up or something like that happens, mm. then you have to fill that time because there ain't no money to go back and do no, it again. absolutely. <laughs> now, Julia, you're a very positive person. I, I think that's fairly obvious from what you put out there in the world. What made you want to do this podcast? Well, you and I connected over social media. You mm. are one of the kindest people that I know, genuinely. Um, you just on social media, particularly, you've got what, 275,000 followers. You've got a quarter of a million people hanging on your every world, GPT. <laughs> I, I mean, goodness <laughs> me. But you are without fail every day, you put out something kind and something lovely um, and just remind people to be the best that they can be, I think. And um, once we connected and we, we were chatting, weren't we, about what could we do, what could we do? And it mm. just seemed to me that I think you're definitely kinder than I am. I'm, I have, I'm definitely empathetic and I'm a compassionate human being for sure. But I think you probably have a bigger capacity than, than me to reach out. I don't like that expression, but it does say what it means mm. um, in, in tougher times. And you'll always, you'll always sort of offer the kind alternative. Whereas I'm more of a positive bulldozer through it kind of a girl, mm. woman, you know, it's all right. Okay, fine. That was a bit bad. Maybe that didn't go so well. Let's d deal with it, learn from it and let's move on. And, and that's how I sort of get through stuff. And we, I think we both agreed that now is the right time to do something about positivity, to talk about positivity. It is, I think it's a genuine, real thing. I know, and we know, and we'll explore this over the coming weeks, the brain is the most incredible organ that we have and you can control large parts of it and mm. you can control your brain with negative thoughts and with positive thoughts. And people who potentially struggle with some mental health issues and anxieties know that because it's about the brain taking over and that chatter that comes in and takes over. And you, you, I genuinely believe that you can talk over that chatter and, and, and be positive and make yourself positive. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking just you sort of alluded to it a little bit there about the fact that um, mental health is such a big thing now and it's become more part of our conscious and we're, we're talking about these things more. And we're all looking for ways to help deal with our mental um, health. You know, we're, we're trying to find new ways. Like you said earlier, you, you go for walks and things like that. And being outside is a, is a great one for you to be able to help yeah. with your mental health. I have very many outlets myself. I play in a band. I, um, you know, like spending time with my family, go out in the garden. There's all this and exercise, running and things like that. So, yeah. you know, finding outlets. But it's not always easy to, to find those things that, you, you know, that are outlets for you as a person. And I think hopefully we'll, during the podcast, we'll try to explore other people's outlets. Yeah, well, we definitely will. So the podcast is going to be called going to be called I love that it is called I, I'm still talking in the past tense what are we going to call this podcast Charles? <laughs> it's called hello the podcast is called a little bit of positive and we're going to have guests some of the weeks and we're not it's just going to be Giles and I talking about stories and people that have inspired us on other weeks um, but this week our, our first our premiere week uh, I'm excited because we've got a lovely guest who is very, very positive. I'm going to tell you a little story first, Giles, about um, somebody else because it does it does lead into our first guest. So um, I learned this week about a man. He's an American dude called John Kitchen. And John Kitchen um, has a nickname and his nickname is Slow-Mo. And if you put Slow-Mo into your search engine, you'll probably find uh, a film about him. 
And it was up on the New York Times newspaper website for a long time. And now I think it's on YouTube and stuff. But John Kitchen grew up in North Carolina. He was the son of dairy farmers and he had a very modest existence, but they were rich in love is how I would describe his, his background. And he went on to become a very, very successful neurosurgeon. Um, he was very bright academically. And eventually he was living, uh, as he describes it, the American dream. He had big cars and mansions and he got married, but for the briefest of time, but he did have a son. Uh, but he he felt that at that stage, you know, he'd, he'd come a long way from his humble, humble background and uh, he felt that he had it all. But then... Later in his life, he was diagnosed with something called prosnopagnosia. Have you heard of prosnopagnosia? No, I've never heard of that before. So it's it's face blindness. Apparently, Tom Stoppard suffers from this as well. And there's a man called Dr. Oliver Sacks who has written mm. about it. And he, he suffers. And it's from, um, it's Greek in origins. You know me, I'm a half Greek. I love a bit of a Greek, yeah. a Greek connection. So pros, prosopon, or yeah, prosopon means face. And agnosia means non-knowledge. So it's sort of like the face of no knowledge. So apparently you can you can see, I could see you, I could see your hairline, mm. but your face would just look blurry and I couldn't be sure that it was you. So I'd need other things to identify it as you. Um, and so the neurosurgeon got diagnosed with this strange, rare neurological condition. Mm. And of course, that was a life-changing moment for him. But it was also the moment that he decided, again, his words, he decided... Uh, that he needed to stop being an asshole. <laughs> it's amazing. It takes something as extreme as that to realise that you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's when he realised. It was like, oh, okay, I'm living an asshole life. Yeah. But he just said he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy at work. He was spending all the time in the car. It doesn't matter. It was a big car. And it was all about the money. It was all about the work. There was no joy in his life. And he realized that the balance was all wrong. So he gave everything up. He sold up and he had a couple of mansions and some sort of like Neverland zoo or something weird as well. And he moved into a one bedroom apartment in Pacific Beach, the Pacific Beach area of San Diego. And he got himself some uh, rollerblades. And now he's 76 or 77 now. He rollerblades every single day. And he is immensely happy. And I like this story for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's never too late to have an epiphany. You know, he must he was what, in his mm. 50s, 60s and realized that he was on the wrong course. And the other interesting thing about this story is the rollerblading and why it makes him happy. Being a neurosurgeon, he couldn't he couldn't quite understand why he felt so happy when he was rollerblading. So he started to to do research into it. And it turns out that um, lateral acceleration, which is what you do when you're rollerblading mm -hmm. or when you're surfing or maybe when you're skiing or when you're um, skateboarding, that lateral acceleration, apparently um, it, it, it stimulates a set of receptors in the inner ear and that connects you to the centre of earth by gravity. So it becomes the perfect sort of condition to meditate in and within. So whilst you're engaged in that, that lateral acceleration, that shoo, shoo, shoo mm. kind of movement, that is the zone, as he calls it, the zone to meditate and to be happy. And that's why it makes him so happy. And I thought that's really interesting because 
a lot of surfers, and we're about to chat to a surfer, a lot of surfers talk about that, don't they? That there's just something, that feeling that you get when you're on a wave. And that's what it is. There's actually, there's there's a, a, a physical reason why it makes you feel so good. Now, do you do anything where you laterally accelerate? No, I'm not a lateral accelerator by any means. Perhaps it's something I need to do. I mean, I've always thought, I guess, like things like surfing and skiing, it's the adrenaline that is the thing that is, um, and which I'm sure you'd get that, you know, with any exercise, yeah. you get that endorphin rush, don't you? I run that- quite a lot. That's my kind of, um, I guess that's my definition of lateral acceleration. Not that I'm accelerating particularly fast when I'm running. <clears throat> um, uh, but yeah, I've always assumed it was more the adrenaline stuff, but that is so interesting that it's this actual physical thing that is happening to our brains as we're going yeah it's well it's happening in our in our inner ear there's there are these little Mm. bones that move uh when when you do this sideways movement so maybe if you run on a slope yeah could you (laughs) and i didn't know and i'm putting this out i don't know the answer to this because i haven't had i haven't had any time to do some research or anything yet but i wonder if i like when i'm cycling you know how you you do the figure yes. of eight the, boop, boop, the silly sloping around and what I mean I can't help but do that every time I'm on a cycle that must be it as well and it does make you feel happy when you do that yeah do you think that like the Olympic cyclists the indoor cyclists they get that because they're going extremely yes. fast as well aren't they and they and like yeah, you say on, on a, a curve like, yeah that'd be interesting on a slope. we'll have to ask Sir Chris Hoy we will have that's a good idea we'll get him on the podcast <laughs> yeah. but isn't that interesting so I just thought that's quite that makes sense and and that 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 sort of whole fraternity of people, the surfer mm. dudes, the skater guys, um, the, the, the ski bums. I mean, they do yeah. have like, they're, they're chilled and relaxed. They so they, they've got something, something's, something's there. So that's it. So we need to laterally accelerate people to, okay. keep, to keep ourselves happy. Yeah, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. And what, and like you say, what a turnaround for that person, even at sort of in his middle age, you were, you'd, some of you'd think you'd be past it, but actually to turn his life around and have a sort of a massive realization there's another funny bit and we might not even use this but we might but there's another funny bit funny bit in the uh, in the story he was i was interviewing uh, listening to him being interviewed on a podcast he also discovered marijuana quite late in life oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> which which he um, as a neurosurgeon um was just quite funny and uh yeah, it, what, what was interesting is that he did lose his train of thought a few times during the conversation. And I didn't know whether that was the uh, the marijuana or the fact that he was 76 and has got a neurological condition. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's never too late to experiment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, good for him. Um, and yes, and like you said, we've, um, you know, this, the podcast is about positive stories and positive people. And um, we've got a really positive person coming on now on the get, as our first guest. It's the managing director of supermarket chain, Richard Walker. And you know Richard a little bit. Yeah, so Richard and I have crossed paths because we share a few passions. Um, He and I both are plastic pollution campaigners. I'd say he's doing a better job than I am because he's running this multi-million pound business and he has the the impact and the ability to be able to really make some positive changes within his business. So he is, he'll tell us all about this. He's, he'll, he'll talk about sort of his fight against plastic pollution and how difficult it is to get it out of packaging, but there are solutions there on the horizon. Uh, and he also, do you remember that brilliant advert that wasn't allowed to be an advert, oh, which Emma yeah. Thompson did the voiceover for the orangutan? Mm. 
Yeah, I shared it on on Twitter. I remember sharing it. Yes, so did I. And I actually went on this morning talking about it because it got banned for some, Mm. I can't remember what stupid reason it wasn't allowed to be played as an advert, but it got uh, like 800 million hits or something. It was a huge, huge success because it showed the plight, this cartoon plight of of the poor orangutan who was losing all uh, his his forest around him um, because they were chopping it down for palm oil and uh, Richard was behind that because he also palm oil is is a really complex um, issue actually it's not Mm. quite as simple as just not using it in anything but essentially it's in far too many products and and obviously you you don't want to destroy wildlife habitats um, Mm. for your chocolate spread that's not or any other products and it might be in from soaps to shampoos to all sorts of stuff um, so he and I have have met and we've chatted and we, we work on various campaigns together. And I wanted to find out from him, first of all, lots of pers- there's lots of personal interesting stuff about him. But I want to know from a business point of view, does he think there is any positivity and any light once we work our way through the next phase of the coronavirus situation? Mm. And also, um, how can we as a country how can we move forward in a positive way? And actually it was interesting because he and a group of other very influential business leaders have written to the government about this very topic. Yeah, we have. And, um, you know, everywhere I look in in the business community, there seems to be a real willingness um, for, for people to seize the opportunity, seize the moment and, uh, and rebuild in a greener way. So I absolutely think it's possible. And I, I don't think we're going to have an opportunity like this again. You know, I think we've all seen what it's like to have clearer waters and and bluer skies. And I think people have have enjoyed aspects of it. Um, So I I think the the the, you know, the grounds are absolutely there um, for us to to come out of this in a positive way. And, And I think business is kind of ready and stands willing to do so. People have really engaged, haven't they, Giles? I mean, I know that you and I have spoken about this. In with nature, everybody is hearing the bird song. Uh, mm. Families are enjoying their times in the parks and with their gardens and whatever it is. We, it has been something that I think everyone has in common. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, and and actually, sort of re- reminding ourselves how important green spaces are, particularly if you live in a big city like London, um, and how vital those places are for us. You know, to get a bit of respite. Um, and also, Richard, I wanted to ask because you obviously you're really into outdoor pursuits. Is that something that sort of informs your your day job as well? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, for me, uh, being in the outdoors is is uh, obviously a you know a, a chance to. Uh, unwind and and reset but also it has informed many of of our campaigns and opinions um i'm i'm a big surfer and i I think you know i've seen firsthand the issue of plastic pollution on our beaches and in oceans all around the world um and also i i enjoy uh climbing and, and mountaineering and you know going to untouched landscapes and you know witnessing just how precious um this this planet is and and what we're doing to it so yeah absolutely Richard, do you think that your customers get it? Because you came you came in for some criticism with your palm oil campaign. You did that wonderful advert, mm. the cartoon that Emma Thompson did the voice for uh, of the orangutan. And by a series of strange events, it wasn't allowed to become a TV advert, which was just bizarre and weird mm. and wrong. But it got <laughs> to millions of people. Um, but there was, I, I remember reading a really snipey article in one of the papers saying, oh, well, it was a bit of a failure and, and it hadn't worked. But you don't see it that way, do you? 
No, not at all. Um, it, it was a really interesting learning curve for us because, uh, you know, the first the first supermarket to eliminate palm oil from our own label range. And almost because that advert got banned and it became the most watched Christmas ad of all time, 80 million views and counting, it went viral on, online. The narrative ran away with us. And palm oil is a complex issue. Uh, there's two sides to the debate. I'm the first to admit that. Um, and we didn't quite hit the deadline on 14 products. So we um, allowed suppliers three more months uh, to hit the timescales. Um, so, yeah, there was a bit of controversy over it. But um, I'm immensely proud of what we did. We're now completely out of palm oil. And it was throwing down the gauntlet. Firstly, we wanted to raise awareness. We certainly did that. The Google searches of the phrase palm oil went up 10,000% after our campaign. But I, I do think it really helps enact meaningful change. Um, by the end of the year, we had new uh, deforestation criteria by the, the biggest palm oil producer and even by the Malaysian government. So I see it as a great piece of corporate activism that did annoy lots of people along the way, but I don't really care. Um, we got everyone talking and thinking about it and we actually got change along the way. You had a great response from your customers as well, didn't you? Because you, you did a, a, a survey um, and 80% of people said that they do care about this issue and they do care about the environment. And again, there was surprise in some, some areas of the press that Iceland customers would care about the environment. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think it's, um, it's right to call out snobbery where it exists. And I, I did feel there was a bit of institutional snobbery from some of the mainstream media um, around, you know, who who should and shouldn't be caring about the environment. And, um, the, you know, there was a feeling that perhaps because Iceland is a mainstream retailer for mainstream people, our customers wouldn't care about the environment. But they absolutely do. And as you say, we, we found that, that, you know, 80% of them were in support of this. They might not have any, any more money to be able to afford to make the right ethical choices. And therefore, we can't charge them anymore to do so. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't care about it. And that's why I, I find it even more exciting being in this position and, and being who Iceland is, because if, if, we can, if we can nudge our customers to make the right choices, that's truly scalable um, without having to pass on cost for them to do so. And do you think other supermarkets are following suit? Because you've led the way, certainly with uh, coronavirus, you were the mm. first supermarket, I think, to open early for elderly people. You are delivering fridges to food banks around the country. Yeah. You, you've, you're, very, you're, you're a carer, aren't you? It's not all about the business for you. There, there is a real heart and soul feeling to it. Yeah, um, I suppose it's in the DNA of who we are. We're we're a business that's 50 years old this year. And we were set up by my mum, who thought of the name, and my dad uh, 50 years ago from one small shop. And we're still a private business, although we're a big business now. And I think that enables us to make long-term decisions. We don't have to constantly please outside city shareholders and chase quarterly profits. We can do the right thing. And, and you know, we Part of that makes commercial sense. We can be long term greedy um, because I think all of these activities are, are the right thing to do for the planet. Yes. But it's also about changing the perception of the business and improving uh, the brand buzz of our business. Um, and then, of course, you know, with our almost 1000 shops now, we are rooted in almost a thousand high streets around the UK. And, we, you know, we're in there. We, we see the daily problems in terms of, I don't know, universal credit 
or uh, some of the, you know some of the, the the problems around the welfare system, the high street decline. We live and breathe those every day. So I think you know we, we're absolutely there for our customers. We're on their side, and, and we try and do what we can where we can. Richard, I was going to say, just you alluded to it a bit there with about about the community spirit behind the business. But what's it also like the positives of working in a family business? What what does that mean to you? Yeah, well, uh, I noticed you said the positives. There are some (laughs) some negatives. Um, It's a positive podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, But actually, I did. You know, I only joined the business seven eight years ago, and and uh, I was worried about what it would be like to work with my old man. you know his his legacy looms large throughout the business, and and it's almost an impossible act to follow um, as someone who founded this this three billion pound business. But actually, it's been a, a real pleasure um, to work with him. We we've managed to sort of separate family life and, and business life, and uh, you know we're we're on the adventure together now, and and that's a that's a wonderful thing to be. And and you know, Dad now is in his mid seventies. He's definitely taken a operational step back, and. But he's there to help me and, and guide me. And I think as a private business and as still as a family business, we can, you know, we can stick to our principles and, and we can do what's right. I read some of your uh, commentary that you put on the website, uh, Richard, and something that, that struck out was uh, you mentioned the phrase climate justice, social justice and business performance. All of those things are important to you. Does your dad think you're a bit crazy when it comes to your stance on things like the plastic pollution and the palm oil? Doesn't he just try and sort of push you back to go to bottom line business talk? Yeah, he does a bit, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he does. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll sometimes he'll say, oh, forget about, you know, saving the world and getting the shops. Um, and, and part of that is true because, you know, without good business performance, we won't be able to invest in our corporate activism and our community campaigns. But, you know, one thing equals the other. And actually, it's, it's impossible to separate them out from each other. And actually, dad, in his own way, has has been a leading light on a lot of these campaigns himself. Um, he was the first retailer anywhere in the world to take out GM from our own label food in the early noughties. Um, so he's often led the way, you know, he's been a long term Greenpeace member for decades now. So I think, you know, whilst uh, every father is, is you know, critical of their son and likes to show them how it's done. I, I do. I, I do hope I, I do think he's he's proud of what we've achieved as well along the way. I know I've read that in the past you've said that you're an optimist. Um, and I hope that's still the case. Um, and given what's happened currently, do you feel there is a chance for genuine change in our society? Um, you know, things like the way we treat each other, and we've talked about the environment as well, and also perhaps the way we consume. Do you think these are things that we will start to evolve more, or do you think yeah. we are going to sit back on our laurels and return to to what we normally do? I really hope... Uh, I really hope we do change because if we were to re- revert back to just exactly how we were, it, it would be a tragedy. But I am optimistic. You know, firstly, you say about society and community. Um, what's been amazing over the last three months is the multiple small acts of kindness by colleagues that we see every day. Um, and I, I think that's important to our communities, you know, because kindness can go viral. If you do something nice to someone else, uh, and especially if they're a stranger, they will do something nice to four other people and each of them will do something nice to four other people and so on. So it, it is contagious and it does cascade through 
through human social networks. And, you know, I, I think we've seen that element of it. Um, and then I, I do also help uh, hope that, that people have experienced a, a different way, maybe not such a frantic way of life. And, you know, in a way, it's quite a mindful existence the last three months because we haven't been able to run around and plan things for the future and uh, travel constantly. So we're living a lot more in the moment. And I think living in the moment does give us pause for maybe shining a light on a, a better way. Um, and I think finally, the pandemic has obviously also shown up what's broken in society. Uh, and therefore, you know, that's why it's so important we seize the moment to try and fix it. If I waved my magic wand and I put you in charge, what are the first three things you do, Richard Walker? Ooh, now you put me on the spot. Mm-hmm. I think number one, I would um, urgently transition out of fossil fuel subsidies you know, the, the science is unequivocal. It's like trying to argue against gravity. Uh, we know exactly what is causing a warming climate, and that's the burning of fossilized carbons. And yet the fossil fuel industry is the most heb- heavily subsidized on the planet. It enjoys $5.5 trillion annually of subsidies, um, which is just crazy because it's also completely trashing the planet. And therefore, we do need to transition out of that. And then I suppose at the, at the same time, I would promote and invest in new green tech and new green employment opportunities because all of the technology is out there and we know what needs to be done. We've just got to reinvest those subsidies into things like uh, sustainable building materials and you know decent insulated houses and uh, electric planes and you know, uh, some of the, the new technologies I see every day uh, in consumer packaging. Um, so so there's a, a whole vast array of opportunity there that does need to be kick-started with some subsidy that should be drawn out of the, the fossil fuel industry. And finally, I suppose the third, third thing, I, w- I would invest heavily in nature recovery um, because that also helps climate change. But it is the other part of the crisis we face that, you know, we, we have a warming world, but we also have biodiversity decline. And actually, business sees this and, and business knows this is a problem. And therefore, there's organisations, great organisations like the Wildlife Trust, which are helping business and councils and communities uh, look after the, the wildlife on their patch. Um, and that might be, you know, letting verges grow or, or railway verges grow or or trying to um, reintroduce wildlife onto industrial estates like we're trying to do. Um, or head office campuses. So there's loads of opportunity there. Do you both think, Giles, do you think everybody understands and makes the connection between climate change and the destruction of of wildlife habitats and and deforestation and ancient woodlands? Because they are all so connected. I know that. I mean, I do a lot of research about this now. And, you know, even what's happening in the Amazon is having an impact on us on the other side of the world. And I think it's just quite a hard thing to explain and and talk about openly with people i think it's only those moments when we see like fires on the on the news and stuff that people start to really realize these how big an impact these things have but i think generally i think people are just very very blinkered to it i don't know about you richard what do you think about it yeah i think you know well with with through the likes of um of yourselves talking about it um and obviously the rewilding movement i i do think there is now uh, a debate at least that wasn't being had five years ago and people do 
kind of are starting to understand nature-based solutions as a real key to to solving the climate crisis as well as just the wonderful you know reintroduction of of uh, more wildlife um and and there's nowhere more nature depleted than the uk so it, it is a big opportunity especially as as we start to have degraded farmland that that really isn't fit for purpose anymore we can utilize that that land in other ways and it's i've actually been quite pleased to see the government start to understand this as well and you know defra are now on the right track of trying to push nature-based solutions and you know better environmental stewardship from from the likes of farming to promote biodiversity i have a good friend that works on a rewilding state net at nep um mm. and i wondered um how you as a as a business work with rewilding projects yeah so i mean nep is the gold standard isn't it and it's it is, uh, yeah. an absolutely sort of fabulous achievement in terms of the how nature has reawakened there the the problem is you need you know what is it 20,000 acres to do yeah. it at scale um but actually you know again this whole thing around trying to mainstream and democratize environmentalism this can't just be the preserve of the landed gentry or you know as i i always like to pull the leg of waitrose customers you know those those who can afford to pay more to be environmental actually you know if we're going to have any chance of solving this crisis it's got to work for everyone and that includes real people normal people um who are maybe just struggling to make ends meet financially so one thing we've done as a company is to engage our five six million customers a week with uh rewilding projects if you like um in terms of their backyard and uh curating the the nature that's on their doorstep and you know we're we've set up a whole series of um activation projects through our backyard nature campaign and we're trying to show people and prove to them that you don't need a big back garden or to live in the countryside. You can live um, in, in a city, you know, with a small backyard or, or even on the 20th story of a block of flats and and still be a nature guardian and protect your patch. Uh, so we've seen amazing engagement with kids uh, who may go to school in inner city areas, uh, some some quite deprived areas as well. But who are as infatuated with nature as anyone else um, and are actually now, you know, setting up their own projects to do so. So really proud that we've been able to fund that and play a role in it. That's really exciting. The sort of these sort of micro rewilding projects. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose because a lot of your shops, I mean, you've said this, you trade in some of the poorest communities in the UK. So you are experiencing this you are seeing it firsthand and you you're obviously you are I mean the day that you and I met you were going off to another store you genuinely go to your shops and you live and breathe it and you see what people are going through on a day-to-day basis yeah I think I think that's the only way to run the business um you know over the bank holiday weekend I was out in the home delivery van doing uh home delivery orders and and driving the van and dropping off online shopping at customers houses and I, I think you know, when I started the business, I spent a year working in shops around London. And that's the only way, firstly, you learn the nuts and bolts of the business. But secondly, the only way you actually get respect. But it's also a very humbling experience because you just realize and appreciate, firstly, how hard the job is. And but also, you know, some some of the problems that people go through to to, to make the business run and, and to keep the doors open and to to keep the, the shelves stacked. So I think it's, you know, I, I do think it's important. And and there, that then gives me a, a platform to speak about the social issues and the environmental issues that I see on a daily basis. And that's why I do enjoy 
talking about them, going on question time, whatever it might be. And I, I always say any politician should work for a month in an ice and shop, you know, <laughs> to, to, to see the reality and, and to see some of the problems of modern day Britain. It has been nice, hasn't it, to see people's renewed appreciation for this term now that we all know, key workers. But that now includes delivery drivers, people who are working on the shop floor, stacking shelves, everything that you talk about. There is yeah. this renewed appreciation of of how important they've been a lifeline for people during the coronavirus. That's gr- yeah, it is fantastic that, you know, our, our heroic colleagues who have just continually every single day impress me with how they've stepped up and responded to this crisis. They are now finally recognized as key workers. And I, you know, I I hope that realization that retail, that food retail, that high streets are part of the UK's national infrastructure. I just hope that's reflected in government policy moving forward. And that, you know, we, we, we do have a fairer taxation system for the high street that the online retailers don't get away with not paying any tax, you know, that, that we all use the road networks, we all use the NHS, and therefore we all have a, a part to play in funding it. I know you're into your walking, you're into your surfing, you're, in, you're into your climbing. Is that how you stay on top of your mental health? And is that how you stay positive? Yeah, I think it is, actually. Um, I, I always sort of separate out into three three different buckets of my life i've got got work which obviously can be quite all consuming but then i'm always trying to balance that with family and with my own personal stuff and for me you know what does clear my head and and what does give me peace and probably just grounds me is is going out you know and, and catching a wave um or or climbing up a mountain or whatever it might be i think you know the the outdoors is an absolute tonic um for a, a pretty busy, hectic uh, family and business life, for sure. How old are your kids again? So they're 10 and 8. And uh, what's great now is that they're getting into surfing. So I've got an even, a, 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 an even better excuse to go out uh, and catch a wave or, or go and climb or, or go on a hike. And it's really uh, one, one of the, the best things that they can now join me in, in a lot of these pursuits. It's pretty awesome. Oh, that's special, isn't it? When you can do stuff like that with your kids. I know you do a lot, Giles, and it just, it really is. You sort of look down at their little hands when they're in your hands and you and you know that it's yeah. just such a magical thing. Yeah, I found that um, sort of doing parallel play, when we first started doing sort of parallel play with them, even if it was just sort of doing a jigsaw or playing le- or doing Lego or building something together, that that was a really exciting and, and rewarding moment. And um, like you say, Richard, going actually being able to sort of do your your loves and hobbies and things with them as well is just such a special thing. Yeah, no doubt. I think the proudest moment so far was when my eldest caught her first wave. <laughs> it was oh. great. Oh, Where was that, Richard? Do you know, actually, it was, um, it was at uh, a place called Surf Snowdonia, which is... The, the it was the world's first wave pool um so it's great conditions there's no tide there's no sharks there's nothing to worry <laughs> about it's just a nice three foot wave that comes every 90 seconds so it's a really good environment for them to to learn but now she's progressed and she was catching waves in Cornwall last summer and I'm sure she will this summer as well amazing how do you how do you work it Richard with your kids in terms of the privilege that they have because it's something i worry about and I'm concerned about all the time my kids are leading a very different life to the one that I led when I was growing up you're mm. busy you're front line you're 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 on the telly a bit as well so um how, how do you how do you place that with them and and your and separate 
your your family and your business side of things safely yeah well well my wife's always one for keeping me grounded so i think she she definitely uh keeps check on uh any uh any ego i might have for uh, if i'm too busy with the business but um it's just so important to invest time as a family unit and obviously you know as as you reference going out hiking as a as a family activities like that are really important so you can spend time together as a unit and uh if nothing else this kind of enforced lockdown over the last three months has has been a, a, a privilege in so far as being able to spend so much time with the kids which i wouldn't normally have been able to do so you know i'm i'm hugely grateful for that and the weather's been great as well amazing yeah. so do you, so do we think the weather's linked to the the, the pollution <laughs> I don't know. Or the lack of pollution. I'm definitely, I'm no climate expert, but the skies do seem bluer, but I don't know. Is that because I'm appreciating them more because I've paused and looked up at them? I don't know. But isn't it strange? We haven't really had a bad day Mm. since the lockdown. The weather has been superb. I was talking about that just today with somebody. Um, so I think I think so. I'm going to research more into that. Well, some things some things are unequivocal. You know, the the fish have returned to Venice, yeah, and the smog has lifted in northern Italy, and and people can breathe properly for the first time in Beijing. I mean, you know, these the even even the goats uh, came back to Landudno. I read. Did you see that one? They came off the mountain and it could talk about rewilding. They took over the town. It was hilarious. Yes, I saw that. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's almost like the world has taken a breath and um yeah and we're sort of enjoying the fruits of that at the moment yeah uh so so let's make sure we we use the great global pause as a great opportunity that's what i say absolutely agreed so richard we do this thing for the podcast where we have something called a happy jar uh, and what we like to do is we like to uh, ask our guests to put three things in the happy jar, which at any stage in the future, we might pull those things out and we might read them out and we might use them in different circumstances. And it's, it's a little it's actually it's a, it's a trick thing that I picked up off uh, the author, Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's when you're feeling a little bit down, you, you dip into the happy jar and you can read something positive and happy. So um, what's your first thing that you would uh, drop into our happy jar? Oh, I love that. Okay. Uh, I guess it would be surfing on Constantine Bay, which is my favorite spot uh, to surf. And sometimes if I'm struggling to sleep, I'll often close my eyes and think about catching a, a right hand wave there. It's, it just really gets me in a, a nice place. What's special about Constantine Bay? And where well, firstly, it? it's achingly beautiful. It's on the north coast of Cornwall. Um, and uh, it's surrounded by these huge white sand dunes, but it also happens to be quite a swell magnet. So it picks up any swell that's coming across the Atlantic uh, and hitting the southwest. So you do get really sort of quality right hand waves there, which is brilliant. That sounds amazing. Um, what would be your number two? Number two, um, I guess it would be, uh, what would it be? It would be spending time in the pub with some of my closest oldest mates and we you know this is something that never really over recent years have have, de- have spent enough time on uh but obviously since lockdown it's it's interesting you don't miss the material things in life mm. you miss mm. the contact the banter the chat you know the pats on the back whatever it might be um and you, you kind of realize that's the important thing it's not it's not really materialism 
interestingly, I've spoken to a few people recently who have, because we now um, we're zooming all the time. We, you know, we're kind of compensating for that lack of connection. And as animals, we need that that connection with with our fellow humans. And interestingly, I think people are actually trying to reach out more to to their friends and family because they can't be with them. So you know, they're trying to be together even though they're apart. Have you have you yeah. found that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, we we've had a, a lot more regular kind of family Zoom chats with my dad and my sisters and. I've looked up old friends that, you know, I, I wouldn't normally get around to doing so. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with that. This enforced lockdown has actually made us more connected in some ways, which is just totally odd. Yeah. But there's got to be a lesson in that somewhere. Absolutely. Got, got to find something positive in it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Number three in the happy jar. This is the last one. So make it a goodie. <laughs> Make it a goodie. Well, it is a, a beautiful evening today here in sunny South Cheshire uh, and there's blue skies. And after this podcast, I'm going to go and get my running gear on and uh, crank up the volume on my earphones and listen to my favorite running playlist and get in the hills. And we're very lucky that we live in an area that, you know, Julia, because I've seen you've covered it in one of your walking uh, tv shows yeah you um, sent me a little message you were very happy right, that yeah. i was there <laughs> yeah we live on the sandstone trail which is which is just a brilliant place to get out and uh, immerse yourself in in nature there's loads of woods and hills and trails and it's perfect for trail running so um that literally brings a smile to my fi- face whenever i go running in the hills and what's the first track on the running place <laughs> it's very important <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, I, I can't careful yeah I know, exactly, yeah <laughs> let's see i'm i'm actually gonna go and have a look yes because people uh, people will judge you on this one remember yeah they will won't they <laughs> well actually this is hilarious the first track is called not in control which is uh <laughs> and it's by a group called teleman so there you go okay there we go not in control i love it <laughs> i want to ask you one final thing because mm. um you've got this very ambitious project that you mentioned earlier on this this goal that you want to be plastic free by 2023 is that the yeah by the end of 2023 by the yeah. end of 2023 do you think it's possible one of the bad things and i know this is a positive podcast but we have to look at some of the bad stuff um i think people are using more plastic again for some reason and then we've got this whole new issue now with masks and gloves and uh, people think that plastic might be safer. We are we are a bit addicted to plastic, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, but I think that's been driven by the supermarket culture, where without question we've just been coating, wrapping, bagging everything in in this miracle material. And actually, I point the finger squarely at the supermarket industry, who's got lazy and addicted to this cheap material that lasts forever. And you're right, you know, in the short term at least, the coronavirus has driven people towards more pre-packaged uh, products and they like the uh, sanitized nature of plastics. But actually, there was a, a recent Ipsos Mori poll that was published last week and it showed that, you know, um, the public's desire to get out of plastic and for retailers to take firm action is stronger than ever. I think it was like over 70% of people um, want to see um, firm action on single-use plastics. So, I think long term that the trend in terms of consumer demand continues and actually, um, you know, it's absolutely achievable. Um, We're seeing more and more action now from other supermarkets who are starting to follow our lead and uh, make commitments on reducing single use. 
And we've made great progress. I think there are a lot of eyebrows raised two years ago when we made our commitment because some people said it was impossible. But I don't care that they said it was impossible because I'm determined to get there. And actually, we've now reduced our plastic tonnage by almost 30% over the last two years. And we've got a, a clear roadmap to uh, get out of it completely over the next three years. We've eliminated polystyrene. We've eliminated black plastic. Uh, we've eliminated PVC. We're pushing in paper bags. So it is actually happening now. We've got firm evidence and, and we've got a roadmap to, to finish. And you could make me personally very happy here because you must be experimenting with different types of packaging all the time. There's so much stuff out there, isn't there? There are so many alternatives out there now. Yeah, it ranges from like the weird and wonderful, you know, some cussing new edge material that's being created. Seaweed, yeah, Yeah. seaweed type uh, material, all that sort of side of things. And then there's like good old materials that have been around since the pre-plastic days, uh, things that come from trees, which so long as it's sustainably certified, which means that there's good forest stewardship and they're replanting more trees than they chop down. Um, things like pulp trays and and uh, paper board, you know, that some of the biggest solutions come from our oldest technologies. So it's a, it's a cool mix of cutting edge technology and some really old techniques as well. See, that just makes me, that makes me all glowy and happy. My oxytocin levels have risen already. <laughs> Good. It's very, very inspiring. And it's an amazing thing that you're doing, Richard. Um, yeah, thank you for all your uh, efforts in that regard. No, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been great to chat. Great to chat, Richard. Thank you. And we shall think about you as you run across the hills uh, to not in control. I'm going to go to spot- <laughs> Spotify straight away and listen exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get my trainers on. <laughs> Richard Walker. Iceland MD, inspirational and lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to chat. So that was the lovely and very inspiring Richard Walker, isn't he, GPP? He's just, he's, he's a dude. Amazing. I really have a lot of respect for him. The, the thing that really stuck out for me was the bit where he was talking about um, positivity becoming viral. How, you know, when yes, you do kindness. something, yes, and when you do something nice for someone, they often do that in return or they will do it for someone else. And I think that's something that I've always really, really tried to advocate that that idea that, you know, kindness makes you feel good and it makes someone else feel good. And actually that thing will be passed on. Yeah. And we talked about that actually in the trailer for this very mm. podcast, the, your oxytocin levels and how how they're increased. That's the love hormone uh, mm. that we have within all of us. And when you do nice things for people. It, it does make you feel good and it makes them feel good. And it's something actually I've touched on uh, with my the, the lockdown sessions that I've been doing with the psychotherapist, mm. Jonathan Hoban. And lots of people find it very therapeutic and very gratifying and very affirming to do other things for people. So to volunteer or to make things or to help your neighbor. And it's, it is helping those other people out, but it is also, it's, it, it's a positive thing for you to do mm. because it gives you a sense of purpose, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, a sense of purpose, a sense of ownership, a sense of being involved in a community, all those things, you know, when we rally together, it just makes such a difference to ourselves and, like you say, others. So, you see, I don't need to tell you this. I would I would end saying, well, you know, go off and do something nice for somebody, Giles, but you do that every day, you see. You are <laughs> you are our shining beacon of kindness. Oh, well, I, you know, it's I think it's innately in me. I mean, we talked about it in the intro, didn't we, a bit about um, my book and, you know, the difficult things I've been through. And I think often if you've been through difficult circumstances in your life, you can go one or two ways. You can be sort of 
morose and down and 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 sad about these things and i and i i am all those sometimes but at the same time i mm-hmm. know that if i can be positive and kind and and a word that you know a phrase that you don't like so much reach out to people um yeah. then you know that makes such a difference to my own mental health yeah and i think it's uh, it's important to be able to recognize your strengths as well and and what you can do uh, because of your own circumstances and mm. you know you mentioned that you had a you've gone through some really tough things and and you make you can make a decision can't you either way do you yeah. do you go the good way or the bad way exactly. i was so lucky with my with my uh, upbringing my parents were incredibly they are they're still alive they're incredibly kind incredibly loving and i would say i had a near perfect childhood and sometimes you hear of people sort of coming through adversity and and how they make the right choices and and i i i've had you know of course we've all had losses and we've lost family members and and life is not easy it's not without its struggles but the beginning of my life was was so perfect and and i'm very grateful for that and i like mm. to think i've i've sort of transferred that gratitude into empathy and that's what i that's why i can do what i do and and try and be positive for people as well well that certainly comes across and uh, like you've said about me you're also one of the kindest people I've ever met so thank you. Oh, well, should we leave it there? That's a positive. That's a positive place to end, isn't it? People will be will be dry vomiting a little bit into their mouths. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry but that's what this podcast is about. Yes, it's about happiness, it's about positivity. Yeah. And it's about lovely people and we couldn't have wished for a, a first uh, and we couldn't have wished for a better first guest. No, Richard was fantastic. Yeah, he was such an inspiration and um, I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. We're going to go off now. We're going to find some more positive stories for you and um, some really lovely people so that we can share it all again. Absolutely. And you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Please do subscribe and and leave nice comments. Apparently, that's really important. I'm quite new to this podcast world. Giles is an award-winning podcaster. (laughs) But um, we need reviews and we need subscriptions. So um, do your bit and be kind to us. And spread the love, people. Spread the positivity. And we'd also love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Eli's Tender 10. Or mine, which is just Julia Bradbury. Not just Julia Bradbury. Julia, <laughs> Julia Bradbury, one word, all lowercase. Or it's the real Julia Bradbury on Instagram because there's yes. another Julia Bradbury. No way. Um, yes. How dare she? They can't be, surely. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sure she's lovely. Yeah. But yeah, we'd love to hear any positive stories you've got or tell us some of the positive things that have happened to you this week and we can share them on the podcast. And we've got some great guests coming up in the future. We've got people who've overcome real hardships. We've got some very spiritual people. We've just got some nice, ordinary people who've got lovely, positive stories. It's not about big names. It's about it's about the love and the positivity and the happiness. That's all coming up. Yes. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye.